JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. What in the hell do you think you are doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, oh the chicken. Double time. Miles Turner. Yeah. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You know, sometimes I get a little bit of inspiration by what you end up sending me. And then yesterday I started out the show with that in mind. Obviously, it was a recap of Sunday and that Week 5 win over Tennessee. And there were a lot of hurdles that this football team had to jump to get that win, to be over 500, and then make coming up Sunday an even larger game in terms of how you view it. I will always look at last Sunday as as bigger. People are asking me, so you must win that Tennessee game. Are you going to do the same thing for the Jacksonville trip? And it's interesting. I don't know if I'm going to just yet. Now, in terms of of being competitive or I guess in terms of wanting a piece at the end of the season. I don't know if we're there with that thought in mind. Like I'm thinking that this team can be competitive and that's what I'm looking for right now. And again, I often bring up exactly how the Pacers went a year ago, what we thought about them and then what we know about them and the expectations that we have for them right now. And, you know, you look back at that month of December and we didn't get too far ahead of ourselves. I know there was a little bit of conversation when you started mentioning, all right, so are they going to be buyers or sellers of the trade deadline? And, you know, they ended up making moves. But I didn't get, you didn't get too far ahead of yourself as far as your favorite team. In that case, the Pacers would be concerned. And somebody asked me today, so is this game going to come down to Sunday? If the Colts lose, then they're going to be absolutely no chance out of any type of winning the division. First, I would tell you this. This division looks so wacky. This division is not very good. 
And when they say the cliche, any given Sunday, which there is a film title regarding, it is incredibly accurate in this division. You have no idea. And I mean a myriad of reasons why you have no idea. From just the way that a team played, see you, Jake. From just the way that a team is going at that point in time. Injuries, the way the schedule hits. Like, I would sit here and tell you right now, I think the Colts can longer term be competitive because their schedule eyeballing that would dictate it. So if you're asking me, I believe, if if this is much more of a must win than I felt that it was against the Titans on Sunday, I would back off of that a little bit because there was so much going into that game on Sunday. That's why when I described it yesterday, I didn't think I was going overboard. I thought that that was a tremendous win. Ah, well, you know what, JMV, you're crazy. Tennessee's not very good. You've been talking about how this division isn't any good, so why is this such a big win? It was a big win because there was so much surrounding it. And I said that even before the game and had no idea what was going to transpire with Anthony Richardson during the game. So think about how the dynamic even changed and even got even even more interesting during the game. So that's that's what went in to Tennessee. It was the losing streak in Lucas Oil Stadium. It was the losing streak against the Titans. It was knowing what the owner wants and the owner not obviously at all liking the way his team has been owned by Mike Vrabel and his team. Now, even before we get to the standings, even before we got to Jonathan Taylor and that extension on Saturday, it was already that big, just in terms of being competitive again, being interesting and competitive again. So as we talked about a year ago with the Pacers, and we know that it didn't work out, and maybe this doesn't either, but we talked about one of my favorite films of the early 90s is What About Bob? And What About Bob references baby steps. That's Bill Murray's psychiatrist, Richard Dreyfus, baby steps. And, and that's really what it is. And sometimes we get caught up or twisted up in this situationally, and here's how. When I say baby steps, you're saying, well, you know what? You're giving Chris Ballard a pass. You're giving this organization a pass. I'm not giving anybody a pass. They've received zero of a pass. I mean, Chris Ballard, after six years and not accomplishing anything, or certainly up to what the goals were, he got a reboot. Now, you might want to say that Jim Irsay, with his vote of approval, with his confidence level, gave him a pass. But I know that around here, we were all over him for his performance slash results. But you are forced to look at it right now. You can't go back and say, well, you know, he's got to go right now because of this and because of that. He has been given a reboot opportunity. So not completely at zero is where he is starting, but it's pretty close to it. Pretty close to it. And that's exactly what happened when he came back, when he hired Shane Steichen, when they decided on fourth overall Anthony Richardson. That's what you got. 
So baby steps is not giving this team, this general manager, this organization a pass. It's telling you that that's what you're going to have to look for with this team because I'm not quite sure that they're not a great deal like what I thought that they were going to be to start this season. Now, I was one that sat here and said, take the six and a half under. There's no way I'm taking the over on that, according to Vegas odds winning this season. Was never going to take that. You know, and now when you think about it, we're not even to mid-October yet, and they have three. That looks like, especially with their schedule in mind, that that is a number that they could easily surpass. And, and really, I would sit here right now, and I would expect that most of you now have yourselves expectations that they surpass that number. And then when you look at it with what you hope, and there is nothing wrong with it. As I've mentioned, there's nothing wrong with having a rebuild or a reboot when you're also winning games. And I've always kind of given back to you guys with that. You guys are the ones that go to the games, you spend the money, you buy all the stuff, come out and join me. I give away tickets, you dig that. And I've talked all along that you guys are incredibly deserving of that. You know, that said, you look within this division and you look at this team, even with the backup quarterback going, there are not a lot of circumstances where you would feel good across the NFL about any of this. I mean, not even, for example, in New York. I don't know how much better that, that both New York teams would feel that they would play or what more accomplishments they may gather if they made a switch within their own team at quarterback. And I understand you have nothing right now against Anthony Richardson, but you also have a level of trust, excitement, which you had at the beginning of the season, and you have belief in Gardner Minshew. And you know what? Maybe that belief is a bit overblown, but on the other end of it, you know, maybe it's being undersold a little bit. All I'm saying is this team can be competitive within this division and certainly within the parameters of their own schedule. And those are at the top of the list of reasons why a lot of teams surprisingly or unsurprisingly, end up winning a division. And again, we can go back to those surprises. That's it. I mean, you look at it, and that's what takes place. You have a winnable schedule because you were a bad a year ago, and you have a division that's incredibly winnable because nobody's stepping up. Like Somebody asked me to make a comparison. All right, look at the Bengals right now, which was called a front runner before the start of the season of the AFC. And then compare that within the AFC South to another front runner, to another team that everybody felt could make a deep run in the AFC postseason, and that's the Jacksonville Jaguars. I would be more concerned that Cincinnati is going to find a way because of Joe Burrow and the injury, then like, to me, I think Jacksonville is more who Jacksonville is right now than the Bengals being more of who the Bengals are at two and three. That makes sense to you. I don't really give a crap either way. 
But that was presented to me, and I look at the Bengals as a team that certainly has been among the more disappointing, but you can also point to a significant reason and or reasons as to why that they're there and why possibly, maybe even more than possibly, they have an opportunity to dig out of that. But with Jacksonville, you just kind of wonder if that is just who Jacksonville is. I, I, I get with the Buffalo win, I understand. But if you watch that game as, as we did on the Colts pregame huddle, it's it's not like Jacksonville was shined down upon with a vision of greatness. They just kind of muddled their way through it and muddled a little bit more than the Bills did. A lot of muddling going on. So yeah, I think Jacksonville is in this case more right now of who they're going to be than that other team that was given to me as an example, the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, incredibly winnable that it is. And they do, they still, Jacksonville brings a lot of things that the Colts are going to struggle with. And I know it was week number one and the Colts gagged up you know, 14 points in the fourth and ended up losing that game. Couldn't run the football from anything. That's one thing that the tables are going to be completely turned now. You would expect to be able to run. Uh, you just don't have Anthony Richardson back there. Now, Anthony Richardson exited that game late, did not return. But the Jaguars do have from ETN, you know, coming out of the backfield. I think he scored a couple of different times against the Bills on Sunday morning in London. And then obviously what they had on the outside. I, I look at this, again, in terms of Jacksonville's offense. Calvin Ridley, which was for sure the biggest issue that the Colts had in week number one, was the biggest issue that the Bills had in week number five. Seven for 122, or at least in that neighborhood, was problematic for Buffalo. It was problematic for the Colts in week number one, and you for sure believe that to be the case coming up on Sunday. Now, Jacksonville's been overseas for the past couple of weeks, which serves them greatly. Serves them greatly to stay over. You could tell in that game that one team had been over there for a couple of weeks and the other team basically got there four or five days prior. It's like Jake and I were talking about Major League Baseball, and you can also put this in terms of wildcard teams in the NFL. Does it not more times than what we witness seem as if the team that gets off to a positive start to a win prior to the team that is just sitting back and waiting. You know, no matter how good that team is. I mean, think about this from a baseball standpoint. I remember back in August when I was getting all this this email when I made a comment because the comparison on ESPN.com was made to this year's Atlanta Braves to that of the Big Red Machine. And I'm sorry I scoff at that, especially in 1976. I was six years old. I mean, how much do I really remember? I remember enough to know that I scoff of that. That would take just an incredible effort. And just in these first two games, even coming from behind last night in the fashion in which they did at home, which was a must win for them, still does not take the stain of, of game number one and you know coming out and having a team that already had a couple of wins under their belt, really dominant performances, both on the mound and at the plate, 
Now you look at Philadelphia, that's how they started. You look at Arizona, that's how they started. You look at Texas, that's how they started. And oftentimes, when you can get out and you look at some of these NFL wildcard games, when you have a wildcard winner that played the week prior, and they're off and running compared to how long it takes that team that sits at home and waits for it in the divisional round to get kick-started, it is amazing to see. I don't know how much, if any, there's going to be a hangover because Jacksonville certainly is used to going and playing in England and staying over there for a long time. That's what they do. But it may, it may take them a minute to get going. Early game situations on Sunday for the Colts will be paramount. Making a lot of believers across the board. It's going to be huge. And again, if you watched how long it took Buffalo to get going, and maybe I'm comparing apples and oranges, and that's okay. Because you guys asked me to make this comparison. But you you saw how long it took Buffalo to get going, and that would be fantastic if it took Jacksonville that long to get going, and you can see some positive momentum flowing from the Colts. Now, I know what you're saying here. You know, you look in week number one, and the Colts got buried late in that game. And you're absolutely right. Couldn't move the ball offensively, if you remember. You know, we talked about the the running attack from the running back positions was a joke. And then a defense kind of did the same thing that it did a year ago. And we've talked about that plenty. And that is the simple fact that the defense last year, because the offense was so horrific, such a joke last year, that more times than not, that defense got a significant pass. And not because you're not noticing that they're gagging up huge leads and getting beat in the third and fourth quarters of games, but because the offense and this team was such a clown show, that's what your focus was. That's what you cared about. So being able at three and two and three and two, and it's October, nothing's going to be decided right now, but getting off to a major start is important, as I mentioned. But this Colts team and what we've seen over the years in most of their shortfalls or their shortcomings, it has been the capability of closing games. And that's what you have before you coming up on Sunday. But I would agree with those of you out there that believe this to be a massive game. And you know what? I'm going to jump on board with you on this being a massive game because it's cool to have this excitement. It's cool not to be talking about a wreck of an organization and a team. Like last year, a lot of people would suggest, hey, that is great for you guys, right? Because you have endless content. The content is much better when there is a significant reason why you're excited about that team that you root for here. I've said this before. By the time you get to me, you're in deep into a seventh hour, and if things go bad, then I'm pounding on them for a seventh hour, and you're going to go, good Lord, man. I heard this for six. I don't know about a seventh. That didn't help me at all. There's nothing good about that. And I've been in this market long enough to know that you guys want the truth and you want it fair and balanced. But after a while, when it just becomes, oh, by the way, I'm going to jump on here and be pissed off about something every day, you don't want that. I've been around here long enough to know. 
you want the truth, but you will wear out at constant negativity, and especially negativity for the sake of being negative. Because you're wrong in your judgment that you believe that that's what people want to hear. Around here, that's not been the case. It may be that way in Philly. I don't know how much they've had to be negative about, though. They should be the most positive sports city going right now. You know, given some of the situations their professional teams have been in. Maybe Boston. You know, what's what's going on with New England. Uh, the Red Sox not making the postseason. Uh, what people felt was both A and B here, a, a disappointing ending to the Celtics season and what many people believe that uh, that Jalen Brown can't dribble with his left hand, I guess. Oh, yeah, and by the way, the Bruins. I don't pay much attention to the NHL, but I paid enough attention to know that that was, again, a massive disappointment. You know, maybe that plays in Boston, but around here, it withers and dies after a while. You just get tired of it. That's something that you learn. But it's always good, and you can always tell when a team around here is a pleasant surprise and you're enjoying the product. When so many years of that during the Manning era where you just basically got up out of bed and this team was going to win 12 or 13 games. Hasn't been that way here for a long time. But some positivity with a team that is playing above to this point of the season most of our expectations and and note this normally under these circumstances if you're utilizing a backup quarterback things are good I remember I used to say this during the Manning era all the time and nothing against Jim Sorge who I like a great deal or Brock Heward for that matter nothing against them but you never really cared in my opinion to talk about a backup quarterback because if you have to utilize the backup quarterback and this is something Tom Moore referenced all the time and people say that too. If you have to go to the backup quarterback, then you are screwed. The Colts' expectations were screwed, and it was over. Done. Don't even have to worry about it. You know, really didn't even have to worry about it when they felt the need to have to worry about it. When they went out and got Kerry Collins, and we saw how that worked out. Or in this case, did not work out. But normally, there's nothing more glorious, nothing more relatable, embraceable then if a team that doesn't have a great deal of expectations that has been downplayed for the entirety of the offseason when it has a little bit of a spark. And you saw that spark on Sunday, and there's an opportunity to continue that in a big way in Jacksonville on Sunday. And you don't even write them off because they have to utilize their backup quarterback. And in fact, some of you out there probably feel even better about it. Because of that been there, done that mentality than what you would have with a 21-year-old rookie. I'm not suggesting you're you're uh, cheering for him to get injured, which you're not. But when you look at it, I mean, you put both quarterbacks uh, on an even parallel right here, right? And I, a lot of you probably aren't going to immediately suggest that, oh, no, I think they're done now because Gardner Minshew is the quarterback. Not at all. You probably get close to the same amount of excitement out of this as you would if if Richardson were quarterback. Normally, when you have to go to that backup quarterback, that is far from the situation. Now, this also will maintain exactly where the bar has been set for this team. But the excitement in a season in which your favorite team raises that bar and 
blows past those presumed at the beginning of the season expectations can make it even more enjoyable. Now, we'll see if I have a difference in thought regarding must-wins coming up on Sunday a little bit later on in this week. Greg Rakestraw is the fifth-quarter show host. That's the post-game show for the Colts on the radio network. Greg joins us coming up at the bottom of the hour, the final regular season Friday night of the football season. And uh, Greg can get down with a lot of information there. I know a lot of you looking at CG and um, Cathedral, I believe, at the Butler Bowl. Uh, big one. Uh, Greg joins us at 3.30. Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus with a lot of those numbers that we saw. And, of course, we'll have him run those numbers on Gardner Minshew. Run those numbers on Gardner Minshew. And then also, we spent so much time a year ago, and I was chief among them around here, spent so much time on railing on the offensive line. We need to, at times, give credit where credit is due. And frankly, if you have a buck 65 runner with two touchdowns, somebody's doing something right on that offensive line. We'll talk Brad. Talk to Brad, I should say, about that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Bob Kravitz, the columnist in the 5 o'clock hour. Chris Kievers is the head coach, football-wise, of UND. We're going to give the Greyhounds a little bit of love coming up at 5.30 today. All right, the number's 239-1070. The email address is jmv1075. Thefan.com. Inside the Win Schuler's Spreadable Cheeses Lounge. It's the YouTube Live. The Lounge is what we call it. Win Schuler's Spreadable Cheeses. In fact, Win Schuler sent me a box full. What I have not been able to find because of your reaction and going to Kroger and Meyer and just buying everything off the shelves, everything that's Win Schuler's, they sent me a box. I believe I have. 11 tubs of it over here right now. <laughs> 11, 11 tubs of original sharp cheddar, bacon and cheddar, and pepper jack. Winshuler's spreadable cheeses inside the lounge via YouTube Live and the ride with JMV. The stream, the app, HD radio sounds fantastic. We have great shows later on this week lined up, too. Larceny Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots, Thursday at the Mousetrap, Walk-Ons downtown on South Meridian on Friday for a Bud Light Blue Friday. And if you remember, i got to get Derek Brooks back on here. Remember he had the Hall of Famer, Derek Brooks? On, I think back in the summertime, he's got part ownership of walk ons downtown. And I know that the Colts get the Buccaneers in the not so distant future here, but maybe Derek Brooks on Friday's show as well. All right, 239 1070 is that number. We'll get you on board coming up in just a second. Greg Rakestraw, Brad Spielberger, Bob Kravitz, Chris Kievers all coming up. 935 1075 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. I probably know more about the scoring position than anybody I know that. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Mm, that is RIP to my great friend. I think I mentioned this last week, Ron Sexton. Uh, Jason Hofsetz brought over a box that the uh, Sexton family gave to me that had a Reds hat and some other stuff from Ron. And, and, and in case you didn't know, Ron Sexton, who passed away back in the summer, was a longtime friend and colleague of mine. And 
That was absolutely brutal news. But we were both, not only did we have that, that common bond that we worked together, we both worked with Mark Patrick. He worked on the Fox Sports Radio side. Um, I obviously worked locally with Mark, but every single day we would have conversations about what we were doing. And we became really good friends and big time Reds fans. But when, when Jason brought that to me you know, about a week and a half or so ago, it um, man, just reminded me how much I miss him, how much we all miss him. Those of us that knew him both, you know, professionally from his act with Donnie Baker, you know, being on Bob and Tom. But uh, those of us that also had a personal relationship and bond with him, how much we miss him. I miss everything about him every day. It's tough. R.I.P. to Ron. Back to your calls coming up in a minute. Meantime, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, somebody else that knew Ron Sexton very well, much like I did, as we were both working through the business over off of Fall Creek Road together. Greg Raystraw joins us now. Hello, Greg. Hello, my friend, and I am all for any and all remembrances of uh, a good man in Ron Sexton and a fellow Reds apologist such as yourself and myself. It is um, it, 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 like I, I get up and think about that, and it's it, it seems ridiculous that he's no longer with us. I mean, it does. So I would tend to I would tend to agree with that. Uh, if you'd like for me to divert us on a little bit more of a of a more positive topic, and we can talk about Ron the entire segment yeah. if you want to, I'm going to prove the efficacy. That's a fancy word for saying effectiveness of your advertising. So literally, I just got a text from my neighbor who works in the food business who asked if I could borrow, as in steal, some of your Winshuler spreads because he says they are that good. So people are listening, and their spending habits are changing because JMB told them to do so. Uh, we got to tell them. I've got the mother load with me right now. I've got eight tubs sitting here that Wynn Schuler's just sent, and that's like eight more than they have at both of my Kroger's that I go to in Greenwood right now. <laughs> so if you could carve me out a, l- a little bit of that. I'm not sure I need an entire tub, but like put some in a Ziploc bag or something for me and just leave it in my mailbox, that'd be great. I appreciate that. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw right there. The shout-out to Winshuler Spreadable Cheeses, the sponsor of the Lounge via YouTube Live and the Ride with JMV. Meyer and Kroger location. Send me those pictures, too, because I send them. I send them off to Winshuler's, and they love to see that stuff. Um, I want to start before we get to the Colts, a little high school football. Final regular season Friday coming up this Friday, correct? Correct. Big games. Obviously, Cathedral and Center Grove is the biggest game, but probably not having the state finals ramifications, seemingly that it has had in years gone by. Center Grove is kind of one of a big three. Cathedral and Danny O'Neill are certainly capable. If they give Center Grove a good battle on Friday, maybe we kind of include them into that conversation uh, in terms of of the postseason run. Um, Brownsburg and HSC. You know, the HCC has been so good this year. So having those two kind of go at it coming up uh, on Friday night is a big deal. Another couple of games as well that have my attention um, and this is in Class 3A. Hamilton Heights is 8-0. West Lafayette has lost twice, and one of them was to the... Did Greg just disappear? Oh, there you go. I'm sorry. You disappeared for one moment. I'm sorry. Go ahead and regain your footing there. Probably because I was trying to bogart some Winshulers there. <laughs> nice. Um, Ham- Hamilton Heights and West Lafayette uh, play each other for what is it, the Hoosier Conference Championship. Yeah. 
uh, coming up on Friday night. And then the other game that, again, is, is an, I guess not a state foe, but Chittard is the clear favorite in Class 3A. They'll probably play the best team they'll face all season in Cincinnati Elder. And if they can get past them on Friday night, I'm not sure anybody else in 3A is going to have much of a shot, even though there are so many undefeated teams in 3A heading into the final week of the season. Man, they have looked so good the entirety of the season. Might might the uh, power going off? And they were going to be good anyway, Greg. Don't get me wrong. But how much of a, um, I guess literally and figuratively here, boost was that for them coming back and doing what they did against Cathedral on that Sunday, Saturday morning, I should say? Oh, that was because if they if they played them every year, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but my guess would be is that Chittard wins about once every eight or nine years against Cathedral. That is something that is kind of easy to wipe away if they aren't able to beat, beat them. Like, All right, we're going to play anybody that good the rest of the season. But when they are infused with that confidence, I, I think it has been a game changer for them the rest of the way. To Chittard's credit, they have really upped their schedule over the course of the last few years. And I probably didn't play out last week in terms of playing Short Ridge in week number eight, but it certainly does in playing a team like Elder coming up in week number nine. Again, I think they're the favorites in 3A regardless of what happens Friday night. But have they been riding high off the momentum of that, that you know, two-day, two-half victory against Cathedral back from week number four? Absolutely, John, they have been. Greg Rakestraw is with us. Where are you with that opening night of the sectional Brownsburg-Ben Davis matchup? So I will be there. We'll have that game on my I figured TV. that, yes. Yeah, in, in terms of number one versus number three. And that was the season opener for those teams for the last several years. That was not the case this year. Um, ben Davis ended up going down to Cincinnati Moeller and beating Moeller, uh, you know, in a kind of a statement game just for the state of Indiana, let alone Ben Davis, back in week number one. Um, I think both those teams are capable of being state championship teams, but you know because of the proximity that they have with each other, you know, it's just, hey, you're going to run each other. It's going to be week one or week two of the postseason. Might as well make it week number one where you've got an extra week to prepare, you know, coming off the games in week number nine. Ben Davis has North Central. They've largely got the mick wrapped up. And again, North Central, young, they're going to figure it out with Derek Hart as the head coach, finally figure out against Ben Davis uh, in, in terms of on Friday night. But that is going to be a great game, and I cannot wait for it. Some 17 days away. So, Greg Graystraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. Fifth quarter huddle for the Colts. That's their postgame show with Bill Brooks after every game. I'm certain, and I listened to a little bit of it, too, on my way to Kroger to look for Winshuler spreadable cheeses to where I did not find any on that given Sunday. But I'm assuming everybody calling in was incredibly happy. And how rare is it? And this is zero to do at all in being negative regarding Anthony Richardson, but how rare is it to where you have a fan base believing that it's equal or maybe even greater greater than the winnability of a team when they lose a starting quarterback, as we've seen Anthony Richardson go out with this sprain of the AC joint here. I, I can't remember often when this has occurred, but it certainly I, I know when you have a bad quarterback, it does, but it, not even in the New York teams, it, it seems like that the better option is coming off the bench or at least an equal to the winnability type of option coming off a bench. This seems like rarefied air to a bit right here. It is 1A and 1B. Uh, and most teams, yeah, I shouldn't say most teams, most teams feel good about their one. Rarely they feel good about their two. 
and the Indianapolis Colts have that. And again, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here. Let's in, let's enjoy the next 12 games and hopefully more of this season. I would imagine this is a one-year luxury that the Colts have because I think Gardner Minshew is finally proving he is one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the National Football League. Somebody that doesn't hit on the quarterback derby in the draft this year with having seemingly three of them at least that are potentially franchise guys. Somebody's going to say, we'll pay him, you know, 15 to $20 million for the next two or three years, and he'll be a starting quarterback someplace else next year. I hate to say that, but let's so let's enjoy Gardner Minshew while we have him here. Well, it's, and, yeah, it's funny. You don't even want – you don't really want to see him play, but you're not upset to no. see him play. It's really an odd situation here. And, and it, frankly, it goes both directions. Because you probably heard you know, a couple of callers like this on the show almost saying, hey, do we need to just go ahead and sit down Anthony Richardson for the rest of the year? And the answer is no. Obviously, he has to get healthy before he gets back out there. But it's not like Richardson has played poorly in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I realize his completion percentage wasn't great the previous week in the loss against the Rams, but he was still very dynamic. His numbers before he got hurt this week were really good. He was 9 of 12, uh, and, and his, his yards per attempt was, was over 8. Um, you, know, you know, those were really good numbers. So he's been better than expected, even if he hasn't played as much as we would hope. And despite the fact that he's been really good, you're not bummed, you know, extremely, I would say, based on the fact that now Minshew's going to get the ball for seemingly the next few weeks. So it is a unique situation. And it is probably nothing like we expected it was going to be coming out of training camp in mid-August up at Grand Park in Westfield. He's Greg Rakestraw with us. Have your Colts' expectations for the season changed, or will that take them getting the job done on the road Sunday? No, they've changed. They've absolutely changed. Um, and I kind of think, almost like the Baltimore game, which obviously went well for the Colts, this is kind of a house money game. Um, because going into the season, you expected Jacksonville to be the best team in the AFC South. In other words, Colts could play well on Sunday and lose that game. It'd be disappointing if they did and already were down the tiebreaker to Jacksonville after six weeks. But even if they lose, they're a game out of first place. And they're 500 with only having Jonathan Taylor for a part of one game, with getting one full game and pretty close to a second game out of Anthony Richardson, and that's it. Not having Shaquille Leonard, you know, kind of playing the way we kind of hoped or expected he would be. And those are three of your biggest stars heading into the season. And yet here you are at three and two, and you've got a chance to be in first place in your division after six weeks. And, and I don't, I think even the most optimistic of Colts fans wasn't sure that was the case. So absolutely, John, I, I have, I have changed what my outlook and my expectations and hopes were going to be for the season coming into it. Hey, Greg, before I let you go, Chris Kievers is going to join me at 530. <laughs> uh, UND is inside that, that top 20 once again, too, and I know you follow them greatly. Uh, a couple of good questions in the type of season you've seen out of the Greyhounds at this point. Well, unfortunately, I don't get to follow the Hounds as, as closely as I have in years gone by, but I am always rooting for Chris Kievers uh, because Chris keeps me young. Chris's first year on campus in the fall of 94 was my first year on campus nice. as a freshman. And I think back to a two-win season followed by a two-win season followed by a four-win season, and then things have kind of taken off from there. What strikes me about this UND group so far this year is how good they have been defensively. 
And of all the results that were really eye-popping to me, it was going to Saginaw Valley State and smoking Saginaw Valley State. Won that game 35-10. to 10. That is often where undefeated seasons have gone to die for UND, dating back to the old GLIAC days when they were conference rivals, or even last year when Saginaw put it on UND pretty good, even though UND still won the league and still qualified to be a postseason team. Um, they've got a new quarterback in uh, that is a transfer. In fact, their top two quarterbacks are both transfers in uh, this season, but it's their defense that has won them a lot of games, and it's that defense I think will travel. Their next big game coming up is Truman. Yeah. That is often now for the GLVC championship. That has been historically the last game of the season. That got moved into the month of October. If UND gets past Truman, should be smooth sailing and claiming yet another GLVC championship for Coach Keepers. You look at this team with a good possibility of being unbeaten? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and again, while the national ranking is important, everything is really about what your regional ranking is because then that is what sets up, you know, how many home playoff games do you get? Do you get a bye? Uh, what other conferences are you aligned with? And so UND has never been higher than a two seed. Unfortunately, the last time that they got the two seed, they got knocked off by Harden. As you felt, Jack wants to be a part of the conversation. That's okay. Jack, yeah, Jack can be a part of the conversation anytime he wants. He's fired, he's fired up about the Hounds as well. <laughs> he's passed on. So UND got beat when they were the two seed by Harding, the seven seed a handful of years ago. So UND has really not kind of never cashed in on that chance to have multiple home games in terms of a key stadium in the postseason. Hopefully this sets up them to have that opportunity, but they're playing multiple times on the south side heading into Thanksgiving weekend and beyond. All right, so I missed you on Saturday night. Are we going to uh, rejoin the show this Saturday? Yes, and, and again, so you hear Jack in the background. Uh, you have vacation with Mr. Jack Rickstraw in the past. I have. My wife and daughter are enjoying a little fall break. Uh, in Colorado, as we speak. So on Saturday night, it was Daddy Daycare. So I was a little focused with him, so I couldn't call into the show. Uh, Amy and Mia returned tomorrow night. I kind of resume my normal work schedule at that point in time, which means I will be calling you early in the show nice. on Saturday night uh, because Indy plays in San Antonio. We don't go on the air until 8.30 on Saturday night. So uh, I'll be for, – for me, San Antonio Saturday night will look a lot like 65th and Benford. Amazing how that works. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I'll be calling you sometime around 7 o'clock on Saturday night. You got it, buddy. I appreciate that, and uh, we'll talk at you then, man. Have a great rest of the week. Again, send me some of that Win Shulers. Thank you. You got it. Win Shulers, and I've got the mother load right here, like eight tubs. Eight of them. And let me know, too. You know, whether you're inside the lounge via YouTube Live or any place else, if you're out looking for Wynn Schuler's, specifically at Kroger or Meyer locations in the state of Indiana, like our friend Gritty inside the lounge via YouTube Live, got three in Vandenberg County, which is Evansville, this past weekend. Uh, tell me who has it and who doesn't, and I'll let everybody know to make sure we all have what we need this football season. Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus, coming up after 4 o'clock. Bob Kravitz will be here. Chris Kievers, the head coach of UND, coming up at about 5.30 today. Big show tomorrow. I'll tell you about that. We'll get to some calls and where you can join the show later on in the week. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, we all had expectations for this Colts team. Have your expectations changed at all? It's out of curiosity. 
You and me coming up on the other side. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Bill, I just have one question for you. What color is an orange? Ted, you bonehead. Its color is the same as its name, just like a lemon. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Greg Gregstraw's podcast, 107.5thefan.com. The second of back-to-back nights for the Eagles at Gambridge Fieldhouse tonight. Anybody go last night? How was it? The long goodbye tour now. We've been down this road before. Not Seven Bridges Road, but we've been down this road before with the Eagles and stepping away and never doing something again. However, this is the long goodbye. Curious how it was last night and if you're going tonight. And from what I gather, and, and one was from reading what Ted Bishop, who you just heard heard me talking about the Legends Golf Club down in Franklin, uh, who went last night and suggested the Steve Miller Band was incredibly good. And remember, originally that was going to be Steely Dan. There was an illness, so Steely Dan had to back out for a moment, and Steve Miller Band came in to open up for the Eagles. So that was last night, night number one, I believe, coming up later on tonight as well at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. So certainly enjoy that. I'm assuming they do Seven Bridges Road. I, just, I always kind of wonder, especially with like super groups like this that just span decades of greatness and you know songs that you know catalogs of music you know by heart if they leave something out significant jmv you were talking about this team being a surprise i certainly have decided to reevaluate my expectations for this team especially with zach moss running the way that he is right now number three in the nfl in rushing he got 445 yards and then Zaire Franklin, number one in total tackles. Uh, so some category, one leader and one not too far behind. Kevin, jump on here at 239-1070. How are you? Hey, JMV. How you doing? Kevin, fantastic. Go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I want to say, so I, 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 I really didn't have low, two lowest expectations coming into this year yep. and here's here's why hear me out so last year everybody's talking about the the offensive line and the offensive line yes they weren't playing good but they in my opinion was one the quarterback or the, the coach and then two the quarterback so to me in this day and age you have to be mobile and be able to extend the play as a quarterback. And we had zero of that last year in Matt Ryan. So that puts a a real strain against these defenses on your offensive line, even if we have the offensive line that we have. So coming into this year, and then, of course, the, the coach. Frank Wright is about average at best. So coming into this year, I was just as excited about uh, the head coach that we have, as well as you know, just as much as I was about the quarterback, because I know what we're looking at in a head coach, you know, as far as scheme wise, right? And then plus, right. you know, um, have, so having Anthony Richardson, you know, you know, once we secured him, I was like, okay, we're going to get better offensive play because of the the being able to extend the play, if nothing else. Like I, when it comes to Anthony Richardson, for me. I'm 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 okay with the the runs and stuff like that, but I'm more excited about 
the ability to extend the play. You know, kind of sure. like a well, and, that, and that's why. Hey, Kevin, I got to hit a break here, but thank you for the call. That's exactly why they drafted him. I mean, that's major at the top of the list. We'll dive into that, Kevin, coming up on the other side. Thank you for your call, Brad Spielberger, a PFF, Kravitz, Coach Kevers, and more coming up. Don't go anywhere. The Ride with JMV. I am the cream here, the cream of the crop, and there is no one that does it better. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Bob Kravitz is going to be here coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. Tomorrow, Ian Eagle of CBS going to be the new voice of the Final Four. Of course, uh, TNT voice, CBS, uh, NFL coverage. Ian Eagle tomorrow. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network is going to join us coming up tomorrow, too. I think Kenny Moore is going to be on here tomorrow. Tomorrow or Thursday for Kenny Moore. Uh, we have a busy rest of the week. Larceny Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots. That is going to be coming up Thursday at the Mousetrap on Keystone. Me and our betting analyst, Brent Holverson. And Bud Light Blue Friday here downtown, South Meridian at Walk-Ons. So I'm thinking, I'm going to reach out and get Derek Brooks back on this show, the Hall of Famer. I know we have uh, Spiro Ditas is coming back on from CBS on Friday as well. We'll have a busy one for you on Friday, too. So a lot happening. Back to your calls coming up in a minute. But what we do need to do right now is crunch some numbers. I am uh, incapable of doing it myself. Thus, we call on an expert from Pro Football Focus every Tuesday at 4 o'clock. Brad Spielberger is kind enough to join us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hello, Brad. How are you? Hey, doing well. How you doing? All right. Give me uh, the confidence or lack thereof that you have in Gardner Menchu for an extended period of time starting for this team in terms of hanging in the AFC South, winning games, and you know, doing not numbers-wise, but again, in terms of winning, doing what Anthony Richardson, maybe people thought he could do as a rookie. Where's your level of confidence in the backup here? It's it's pretty high. It really is. I think this was a perfect idea to bring him along with Shane Steichen, uh, who clearly knows how to cater an offense to his skill set, um, and just stay on schedule. You know, take what the defense gives you. You know, scheme up some open receivers, and they've used Josh Downs really well. And I think him and Gardner Minshew have a good connection already. Maybe they work together a lot over the offseason as Downs kind of adjusted to the NFL game. So it's pretty high. I mean, obviously he's proven it to a degree. He has basically two wins already under his belt against some good opponents. Um, I think that this team, you know, in the right game script, and if they keep things close and low scoring and, and frankly, a little bit ugly, uh, I think they can win games with Gardner Minshew. Do you think Gardner Minshew, I was just talking to a friend of the show, Greg Raystraw, who hosts the Colts postgame show, and he mentioned that Gardner Minshew is is clearly better than, you know, maybe less than a handful, but certainly uh, close to that of starting quarterbacks of the NFL. Is that numbers-wise, and, and really not just numbers, but in in your estimation, is there some truth behind that too yeah absolutely you know I think the thing with with when you're bringing along young quarterbacks is obviously you're what you're chasing is the upside and the potential for what they could be with more experience down the road but as of right now today I mean you look across the NFL like Desmond Ritter versus Gardner Minshew easy Gardner Minshew I mean even I like Bryce Young but the current version of Bryce Young got outplayed by a wide margin by Andy Dalton when he did come in for Carolina so again not to say they're going to be better in the long haul, but yeah, right now, Gardner Minshew's a top, I don't know, 25 quarterback in the NFL. How many situations might you be able to think of right now 
to where the starter goes out. And, and again, I, I look at Anthony Richardson with a more of a level of importance than than just being, you know, the starter and the numbers. You want to get him that that maturity, that growth as a rookie, a 21 year old quarterback. But minus that, how many teams around the NFL can you count that would feel galactically better in some cases when your starter goes down? Because around here, nobody wants to see Richardson injured, but they feel just as good if not better that the outcome the results can be as positive as if Richardson is the starter doesn't seem like that that's probably the case in very few spots I would guess around the NFL yeah it's probably not a super common thing but I mean I don't know I think in Pittsburgh there might be some people that think Mitch Mitch Trubisky is a better quarterback than the current version of Kenny Pickett you know, I mentioned Andy Dalton. Obviously, he's, you know, 35 years old. But but he looked pretty darn good in that game he played, um, you know, with the same bad offensive line, with the same playmakers that can't really create separation. Um, Andy Dalton was phenomenal in that game, went over 300 yards against a good defense um, in Seattle. So, there's a couple right off the bat there. Um, yeah, it's obviously not a position you want to find yourself in uh, or have that debate or that conversation. But there are a handful uh, across the NFL. The Colts better right now across the board than you expected them to be to start the season? They are. They are. I, I did push back a bit coming into the season on this narrative that they were you know, going to be horrendous and like a top-five pick type of team uh, because I, I still just think the trench units were, were very talented and had a lot of players that all kind of simultaneously had bad years last year. And now I think Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson are both playing better than last year by a, a wide margin, as is Ryan Kelly at center once he gets back in the lineup healthy. And then I think Grover Stewart is playing like the 2021 version of Grover Stewart. You know, DeForest Buckner is always going to be DeForest Buckner, but, you know, Quiddy Pays played better. Um, you know, Deo Dengbo, I think, starting to make some more and more plays. I, I bring his name up a lot on this show because I think he shows a lot of flashes. So, yeah, no, I, I, they are better than I expected, beating some good teams like Baltimore, et cetera. Um, but I, I view them as more of like a seven-win, scrappy, seven-eight-win team, not as the four-five-win team that some people thought. So Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, anybody at all not shocked at the numbers on the ground Zach Moss is putting up right now? It's it's been it's been impressive. There are some situational you know moments where um, you know like you look at down to down efficiency in terms of converting third downs and stuff like that where maybe you could argue Jonathan Taylor could get a push and, and get a first down in certain scenarios, but. Yeah, I mean, talk about a guy responding to, you know, effectively losing his job uh, going forward and having quite the performance in that game. I think the only reason people aren't super shocked is he was good the last, what, four or five weeks in Indianapolis last year when he arrived in that swap for Naheem Hines. Like, he's a good early down runner, um, and I think he's kind of, you know, got his career back on track and in. All right, were you surprised that both sides came together and Jonathan Taylor got that extension going back to last Saturday? A little bit. You know, I, I did always assume there was a decent chance that Indianapolis would just say, look, we're not going to move you. We'll play, you know, franchise tag hardball and really just drag this thing out in perpetuity. And maybe Taylor side finally said, okay, we can find a common ground. Um, and I think it's exactly what they did. Look, the modern NFL now, this is the Nick Chubb contract just adjusted for salary cap inflation. It's very simple. You get guaranteed money that is two franchise tags plus a couple million dollars. Then the third year, you know, we'll see if you make it to that third year. Like, that is the going rate of the position. Is it fair? Is it, is it you know, whatever? Is he worth more than that? Separate conversation. But, but that's the market. And, and I think both sides recognize, like, look, we, we want to pay you. We want to keep you around. You're a special talent, an important player to this franchise in this city. 
let's just get you financial protection, you know, get you in the upper echelon of pay um, at the position. And I think it was kind of a win for all parties. This is Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Somebody gave me a comparison because the Colts are in Jacksonville on Sunday and they wanted me to compare Jacksonville and their start to that of Cincinnati. And we note that Cincinnati is currently under 500, whereas the Jags are over it. But I think Cincinnati, you know, whether you're talking about the Burrow injury and getting better from that or just overall getting better, more efficient offensively, which they struggled in early on, I think Cincinnati is going to play a lot better, meaning they're not the type of team that they look like right now. However, with Jacksonville, I think Jacksonville is kind of what they look like right now. Would you agree? I think the one big thing for me was you saw the impact right away of Cam Robinson getting back in the lineup. So he flies to London for the week four game, but cannot play because of his suspension and then gets to play in this game. Unfortunately, both he and Walker Little got hurt in the game, but, but his ability to slide in at left tackle and then you kick Walker Little to guard uh, or Anton Harrison to guard and have Walker Little to tackle, whatever you want to do there long term, it, it improved two positions on the offensive line. And I think you saw in Trevor Lawrence in the week four game against Atlanta, they never threw the ball downfield. They were getting the ball out extremely quickly. And in this past week on throws 10 plus yards downfield, Trevor Lawrence was 10 of 15 for 180 yards and a touchdown on third and fourth down. He was nine of 10, including that touchdown pass. So I think they're going to play a little better. The, the, the thing that'll maybe really vault them into a, a higher echelon is that secondary and that defense needs to play better. They're pretty good against the run, but Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker just need to get home with more regularity. Um, you know, but you know, Darius Williams made a couple plays in coverage the last couple weeks. I don't know. I, I think they're still uh, have the capability with growth from young talent to get into the you know top three seed in the AFC conversation. I'm still bullish on Jacksonville. All right. I want to ask you about a couple of defensive players for the Colts for a moment. And this question is via Larry Brown inside the lounge. The Schuler Spreadable Cheeses Lounge via YouTube Live with a group that's watching and listening and participating right now. He wants to know if Grover Stewart, because he believes he is, is very underrated along that Colts defensive line as it stands. Absolutely. I think Grover Stewart was in the conversation for a couple of years for one of the more underrated players in the entire NFL. Um, and like I said, I don't think he had a great season last year. I think he was dinged up a little bit, but but this season he's done on a tear. I mean, he's one of the better run defenders on the interior in the NFL. And I think over the course of time, he's developed a little bit of pass rush juice. You know, not going to be his game, but he has seven pressures on the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, his run defense grade is 75 this season. It's been above 70 pretty much every season of his career. He's just your classic stout, you know, no tackle on the interior um, that can displace players and, and really wreak havoc. And, and, you know, when DeForest is getting freed up or the addresses are getting freed up, it might not be in the stat sheet, but a lot of that is because Grover Stewart is occupying multiple offensive linemen and really just causing problems on the interior. All right, Brad. The other is Zaire Franklin. It's certainly people around here have taken note over his play to start this season. People nationally, people at PFF, they're taking note of how Zaire Franklin has played through the first five weeks of 2023. Absolutely. For the first three weeks, he had the most solo tackles uh, by any off-ball linebacker in PFF history, which is since 2006. So the most tackles of any linebacker um, in, in, what, 15, 17 years um, for the first three weeks. I think he's had double-digit tackles in every game since then. So, yeah, look, I think he could be a little bit better in coverage, but, I mean, he's making plays behind the line of scrimmage. It's not just like it's all pursuit tackles and he's chasing players down. 
He has six tackles for loss or no gain. He has 26 defensive stops, which we define as an unsuccessful offensive play, you know, so not staying ahead of the chains, which is the second most in the NFL among, among all players. Um, yeah, we, we are certainly taking note. I mean, he's everywhere every week. All right. The other thing I was curious about, and we're going to talk a little bit about everybody else in the NFL. The Niners, the best team going right now. Where would you factor in the Eagles? I think both these teams meet coming up in early December. So I guess at that point in time, that will decide a little bit in the regular season. But where do you have the Niners and the Eagles slotted at the top of the NFL so far this year? Yeah, I think the Niners are, are one overall, um, you know, which I think is a bit crazy to say with Brock Purdy. But I really do think, look, I'm still not going to call him a top 10 quarterback. I'm not even sure if he's a top 15 quarterback. But he is adding elements to this offense that's elevating the offense around him. It's not just the playmakers and Kyle Shanahan. Obviously, they are, you know, the, the brain trust and, and they're incredible. And he's throwing to wide open receivers all the time. But his footwork, his rhythm, his timing is really, really impressive. He gets the top of his drop in seven steps. He takes one hitch, and the ball gets out very quickly. He had a throw uh, on, a, on a poster or maybe a deep slant uh, to Brandon Ayuk where he split two defenders in this super tight window and delivered an absolute strike over the middle of the field, probably 15 yards downfield. Like, that is not a game manager you know, or a guy who's just being carried as much as that is a factor. Um, he, he's, our, he's a top-five graded quarterback for us in the intermediate area of the field, so 10 to 19 yards downfield, and he has the highest yards per attempt in the NFL on those throws. So, long answer short, I got the Niners first overall in the NFL. Look, Philly, I mean, shoot, Philly might be second. I think, you know, Buffalo, Miami, Kansas City are all very, very good teams. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, Philly, I don't think he's even played their best football this year. I've been kind of unimpressed with all five of their games in certain facets, and yet they sit there at 5-0, and and they've played some good teams. Give me some rough spots that both those unbeaten teams you can exploit if you get to it. And then also a couple of those one-loss teams. You mentioned Miami. I think you also mentioned the Chiefs. Give me some rough spots or maybe like the Death Star, a a point where you can zero in on and maybe destroy them at that moment because this is something that has yet to be exploited out of these better teams in the NFL. What might that be? Yeah, so this separates the two for me. So the Niners, I honestly don't think they have a true death spot. They are problematic right now against the run. They've been exploitable up the interior. They've had a lot of, you know, Javon Hargrave and even depth pieces like a Kevin Givens and, and you know, a Javon Kinlaw, a young guy for them, um, are not great against the run. So obviously their linebackers are phenomenal. Fred Warner might be the best linebacker in football, but you're able to get to the second level running against them, um, which could be a problem. For me, for Philly, I have concerns. Their entire secondary is a concern to me. Like, Darius Slay and James Bradbury are good players, but they're both 30-plus years old. Bradbury's already missed the game. I think Darius Slay is starting to see a little bit of, you know, being a step late here and there. And if they have injuries to those guys, I mean, they've had to fill in with guys like Josh Joby and others um, the past couple of weeks, and those guys have been getting picked on the entire season. Um, their safety plays a bit shaky as well. So, I love their trench units, maybe the best trench units in the NFL, um, but that secondary in Philly really concerns me, and it's the reason why they've been giving up a a good bit of points against certain opponents. Freak out for good reason with the Cowboys, especially the way they were dismantled in San Francisco on Sunday night? Yeah, a little bit, and I had them as a top-five team in the NFL coming into the season, and I think that was an incorrect take. I mean – they just they got out physical. They got bullied in that game on both sides of the ball. They also have a very problematic run defense. They draft Mozzie Smith, 
the nose tackle in the first round who barely plays for them because he really has just been a non-factor. And so they have like a 35-year-old Jonathan Hankins who's a starting nose tackle, um, and he's just not the same player he was for a very long time uh, in New York and Las Vegas. So and their linebacker core is decimated with injury. Looks like Leighton Vanderush now could be out for a while with a neck injury, something he's dealt with in the past. So I think you're going to be able to attack them over the middle of the field and throw on them at the intermediate level with ease, frankly, as long as you, know, you hold up against their pass rush. So, yeah, no, Dallas, it, it's a problem. And then on offense, the guys just were not getting open in this game. I think it was a stale game plan for Mike McCarthy. There was no pre-snap motion, not a lot of play action, not a lot of you know bunch and stack formations to create free releases for receivers. It was just a static and kind of kind of lazy game plan. I mean, it was a coaching mismatch in every way, you know, in that game. Uh, all right, I want to ask you about some trades we have seen recently. One is with the assumingly and perpetually uh, disgruntled Chase Claypool, seems like, at wide receiver. Van Jefferson earlier today, which I always loved, but he never seemed with that Rams team to reach consistent potential. And then Randy Gregory going from Denver defensively to an already loaded group in San Francisco. What do you think about these three moves? Yeah, so Chase Claypool, like you said, I mean, if he can't make it work in Miami, then I don't think he's going to make it work anywhere. I get the frustration, I suppose, in Chicago, not a great passing attack. Um, you know, but, but, but if you can't make it work in a Miami Dolphins high-flying offense, then it's probably a you problem uh, and not a, you know, not getting schemed up the right way or not being used the right way problem. Uh, I'm sorry, what were the other two you cut out for a little bit? Uh, Randy Gregory was one defensively, and then Van Jefferson earlier today. Yeah, yeah. So Randy Gregory, uh, you know, he's also dealt with injuries throughout his career. He's more of a rotational player. He is a good pass rusher, um, and, and I think we'll add a nice element to San Francisco. You know, all they do is pick up guys like that, and, and then have, they have career years with them. I think it's kind of a message from Sean Payton. I mean, just trying to get players to buy in and, and focus more um, and play better football. But, I mean, that's the worst pass rush in the NFL in terms of pressure rate this season, and they just traded away a guy for nothing who they gave a five-year, $70 million contract to last year. So I think he will be at, at a nice element in San Francisco, but I bet he plays 12 snaps a game. The Van Jefferson trade I actually love for both parties here. I mean, as soon as Cooper Cup comes back, you see Van Jefferson barely plays. They have a clear top three in Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, and Tutu Atwell. He goes to Atlanta and might be the number two receiver, you know, behind, you know, Drake London. Like, Matt Collins is a good blocker. But Van Jefferson's a solid football player, a good downfield threat. I thought that was just a smart, savvy move for both franchises. Yeah, yeah. Van Jefferson always just, to me, he has those moments when he pops, but they're just not consistent moments why and especially with that offense and I know you bring up a good point regarding Cooper Cup but why could he not find his own niche within that Rams offense you know it's unfortunate because I think he was probably trending in that direction and then injuries you know I think he tore his ACL I'm not in the Super Bowl but, but like no that wasn't Super Bowl but anyway he, he had a bad injury and I think he has kind of lost the step since then where he was always an average or okay separator, but I think he did win, you know, downfield. Not the fastest guy in the world, but one downfield because I knew he knew how to stack corners and, and box out and, and kind of create uh, room for himself to haul in deep passes. And unfortunately, I think he just, yeah, injuries kind of caught up to him a little bit. It's uh, Brad Spielberger with us for PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Before I let you go, some other things maybe we haven't talked about and what you're writing about here in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, so a lot, a lot coming up this week. Of course, talking trade candidates. Uh, Van Jefferson was on that list, so i got to replace him on there. But we'll have a, probably 20-some-odd trade candidates before the Halloween deadline in three weeks. Oh, hey, bring uh, them up. Bring up a couple here that may be interesting to, to indie folks. 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, I don't know about Indy because a lot of pass rushers, you know, Brian Burns, Daniil Hunter, I don't know if the Colts need another defensive lineman, but, um, you know, I think receivers in, in Denver, speaking of Denver, I think Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are probably available. Um, you know, I think Minnesota might go undergo a fire sale at this point with the injury to Justin Jefferson. So, you know, a lot of those guys, I'm trying to think here, who would be a good position fit? Um, you know, I, I got the, uh, I got one for you here. One final question. Um, and, and again, this is this may be tough to answer because it's it's incredibly hypothetical, but that's how I work. Um, so Brad, you get the offseason coming up for the Colts, and there is no doubt that they need a big time, always go to elite level wide receiver, and they're still going to bring back Michael Pittman Jr. But they need that type of guy here. And when you look at the free agency that's upcoming. It's not very robust at that position whatsoever. Might there be a team and or a receiver that become disenchanted with one another? And I had mentioned, and I had my fingers crossed in Minnesota that maybe Justin Jefferson could become available because of a situation like that. Or maybe Cincinnati, somebody could come available like that. Something that is surprising, much like we saw a couple of years ago with A.J. Brown during the draft going from Tennessee to Philadelphia, which really set the table for them as how we know them offensively the way they are right now. Anybody stand out in that possibility, that capacity, moving into the offseason later on in months to come as far as that position's concerned? Yeah, I think the biggest name you're probably going to see realistically available is Jerry Judy in Denver. But I'll tell you this. I know teams have been calling Cincinnati about T. Higgins for the last couple months um, you know, since he did not get his uh, his extension this past offseason. He's obviously dealing with a rib injury right now, but I don't know. Maybe teams keep calling and, and Cincinnati maybe loses the game or Joe Burrow tweaks that calf or something. Um, he's the only like truly upper echelon elite number one guy that I think could realistically come available. Now, one more name for you. Uh, the New England Patriots have a fire sale. Uh, right guard Michael Onwenu, I think, could be a nice upgrade over Will Fries uh, for the interior of that offensive line. In an expiring year, has inside-outside flexibility, uh, good in the gap scheme, big, big physical player. Uh, maybe he's a, a specific Colts-type target, uh, not that they really engage in a whole lot of trade deadline shenanigans. Yeah, they, they probably won't, but it's, uh, it's worthy of good, solid Tuesday content with Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. Every Tuesday right here at the 4 o'clock hour on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Brad, have a fantastic week, and we'll fire it up and do it again next Tuesday. Sounds great. You do the same. Yeah, Brad Spielberger right there. Yeah. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, do anything for anybody out there? Yeah. Not even semi here. In terms of sports arousals. I just, and I know that this is not going to happen. And when you look at, and obviously this is conversations we're going to have a lot further down the road. But when you look at the free agent wide receivers, that's nothing at all to write home about. And then when you bring up, well, you got to draft one, we've already been down that path. So you cross your fingers and hope that you do get some disenchantment with maybe an organization, a team, maybe the wide receiver. And this is something that the Colts could really take a look at and focus in on, I just, I, I, for the life of me, fail to come up with anything that legitimate. You know, I brought up Justin Jefferson. Clearly, that's not going to happen. Yeah, they're going to go out and 
and probably be bad enough here if they have, as he mentioned, fire sales uh, to find a quarterback for the future that's not Kirk Cousins. I'm assuming this, too. I don't follow the Vikings. You know, I mentioned, too, he brought up T. Higgins. I mentioned T. Higgins, I think, on the Sunday show on the Colts pregame huddle. I went as far to mention Chase, and I know none of that is going to happen, but I think it's worthy of the conversation because there is still a glaring need for this team offensively with that. Even with extending Michael Pittman Jr., there's still a glaring need, and it's going to be tough to accommodate that need this offseason because there's just nothing there right now in free agency. And then if you just kind of reboot the same old, well, we'll go through the draft thing, that's not really what you're looking for either. I mean, I know what you're saying. Well, what do you mean about Marvin Harrison Jr.? This team is not going to be in the vicinity to be able to to draft him unless they make a significant move to trade up to try to get him. Uh, just a couple of future thoughts right there. Brad Spielberg of the podcast 107.5thefan.com. Bob Kravitz coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Chris Kievers is the head coach football-wise of UND. Chris is going to join us coming up at 5.30. Ian Eagle of CBS, of Turner and more joins us coming up tomorrow. And Ian Rappaport. Uh, the NFL Network, he had obviously the stories regarding the shoulder situation of Anthony Richardson and a lot of these trades and just really good football conversation. Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, coming up on tomorrow's show. 239-1070 is the number. We'll lead off with you on the other side. Get you to Bob Kravitz coming up with his opinions at the top of the hour. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greg Gregstraw a little bit earlier. Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus podcast, 107.5. TheFan.com. Bob Kravitz, top of the hour. Win Schuler Spreadable Cheese is the official Spreadable Cheese sponsor of the Lounge via YouTube Live of the Ride with JMV and uh, Central Indiana, if not the entirety of the state of Indiana, in absolute love with Win Schuler Spreadable Cheese's original cheddar, sharp cheddar, bacon and cheddar, and pepper jack. I want to thank Win Schuler's for bringing the mother load. I've got eight tubs of it over there. You will love it for your party, your gathering, your reunion, your get together, your tailgate function whatever the case make Winchuler spreadable cheeses available for all of your family and friends now log on winchulers.com they've got great recipes and other stuff you can find out too Winchulers spreadable cheeses yeah we're way in front i'm not going to engage too much with hey they need a number one guy and who are they going to go out and get but i had brad there and i thought that i would bring that up to him um, as a little bit of interest there. Uh, this is from Craig. JMV, you mentioned the Eagles concert last night, night number one of two. It was excellent. They opened up with Seven Bridges Road. Steve Miller was okay, but bummed Steely Dan had to cancel. I think most people felt the same way. C. Berg says, Colts' expectations, as you asked a little bit earlier, have definitely changed. I had them at four wins. I think you have to be thinking playoffs now, even though I think getting a high draft selection is essential for next year. 
Colts missed that with luck and eventually hurt the team in long and short term. Well, I mean, he, he his unavailability hurt the team in, in short and especially in long term as they're still trying to pick up those pieces. I think expectations have changed. Has your Colts' expectation changed at all? Three and two and three and two in Jacksonville coming up on Sunday. Aaron Vincent asked me this. JMV, number one line from this movie that comes to mind, and there's a picture of the outsiders. Uh, that would be, let's do it for Johnny. Let's do it for Johnny. Dallas was played by actor Matt Dillon in that 83 classic, The Outsiders. And really, one of two books I've ever read. The Outsiders, S.E. Hinton, and That Was Then, This Is Now from S.E. Hinton. Two books. How many books have you read in your life, James? I have no idea. I used to read a ton when I was younger. Oh, man, two. I've got the magic number of two right here. S.E. Hinton. Do you think I should have read more than two? It might have been good for you. Yeah. Hey, JMV, my wife is rolling with me listening to your show. Give her a shout-out. D. Palmer. Shout-out to D. Palmer. Are you guys related to Betsy Palmer? You know who that is? The actress that somehow ended up offing all these dudes and chicks in Friday the 13th, the original, at Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> Somebody's grandma was loose in camp. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Hey, my grandma, you know, there's a way to go out, but with your grandma here, your grandma on her big sweater, I believe that was Betsy Palmer, but a shout out to D Palmer, who is listening with Shane right now. Hey, by the way, Shane, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the representation of Jonathan Taylor, who did a, a gotcha to everybody that ever said anything bad about him and his representation of Jonathan Taylor and the way that the past Two months had gone, you know, up until Jonathan Taylor got extended on Saturday. You were a part of that get back video from yesterday because you had tagged me and I was in there too. That's pretty cool. C. Fitz says it's time to trade for Justin Jefferson, whatever it takes. I would love, love to see them do that. I, I just don't know that the Vikings are going to want to do that on any level, considering the direction I'm assuming they're going to be going at quarterback. All right, 239-1070. Fulton is up next today. Fulton, it is great to hear from you, buddy. How you doing? Been pretty busy. Me too. I know. I need to dial that down a little bit. I need some sleep, Fulton. I need about 12 straight hours of it. You need some sleep, huh? I do need some sleep, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I can give you coffee. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, buddy? Well, um, I was wondering if you'd like to come to my show at uh, Tipton High School. Yes. Um, the tickets are on sale for Elton Musical. Okay. And we would love for you guys to come. Wh- what night is it, Fulton? It will be on uh, November 10th on a Friday, Saturday, November 11th. Okay. Sunday, uh, November 12th, and then 17, 18, and 19. Okay. Well, 7.30 to 2. Remind me of that again. I would love, absolutely love to come up and, and see you in your musical. Love to. And I know that a lot of people would love to go with me. 
Yep. And remind me of that again in November, and I would be absolutely proud. I am proud that you invited me to that, man. I am. Thank you very much. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, you remind me of that so we can get not just me up there, but everybody who listens to the show that loves when you call in, Fulton. Thank you. You're welcome, JMV. I'll you, talk to you soon. You got it. That's Fulton right there. That's something we all got to attend. I'm I'm down with that. Shout out to Fulton. Thanks, man. That makes me feel so good. Yeah, remind me. That's the only problem I have is, see, I can remember all this stuff vividly. Like, I can remember what I did on this date in 1986, but I can't remember what I did this morning. I don't know why that is. <laughs> we had our 35th class reunion that I did not attend, which was sucked for me. I, I did the JMV takeover. But what was great about it is those that showed up at my high school reunion, the 35th on Saturday down in Bloomfield, Indiana, they took a speaker and then uh, in the middle of them all played the JMV takeover. I did the JMV. So I was actually kind of with them. So remind me of that. And thank you, Fulton. Uh, Jim's up next to 239-1070. Hello, Jim. Hey, how are you? I just about burped, Jim, when I mentioned the last <laughs> part of that sentence right there. My bad. What do you got, buddy? I just have my 40th class reunion, and uh, I've been to most of them, and uh, they're all the same. So you're on this. 1983. 1983 was a good year. Thank you. Yeah, Thank it you. was a good year. I always, I always, and, and I don't know if this is right or wrong. I always look back in history at the classes where I went to Eastern Green and how hot the chicks were in those classes, as to how good the year was. That was a really good year. Good. Well, I was, a, I was a Mount Vernon graduate in Hancock County, not Posey, and uh, it it was years ago. <laughs> it was years ago. Believe me. Hey, I wanted to tell you. Yes. Uh, I start, I started a lot of books. I just didn't finish them. (laughs) I didn't start nor finish them. (laughs) So two of them. And I'm being completely honest. Completely honest. So one other thing. Never say never because I'm old enough and you're old enough to remember back in the 80s, NFL was totally different. And the run game was pretty big. And number 29 came to town. And nobody ever thought that, I mean, what a deal. I mean, overnight, you know, it was like not leaked out or anything. And, uh, you know, I know it was a big, like, big swing of players and everything. But getting Eric Dickerson back then was like freaking huge. Yeah, I I don't, I mean, I I would doubt if we're ever going to relive. And again, you say never say never. I mean, I may slap on a pair of parachute pants coming up next week. I mean, you never know if you don't go back back to the future in that capacity. But I would, I would, uh, I would doubt we ever see that as, as far as the the running back position is concerned again. Yeah, well, I meant the NFL was a lot different back then. Yeah, it was, no doubt. And, uh, but. Uh, we were talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. and I know everybody wants him and da da da, and it'd be great. It would be awesome. But no, I, I think that our GM is still learning how to be a GM. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, the really clock, is. the clock has been ticking. So yes, well, I mean it's it's. I, the way I, it is. I and and thank you, Jim, for the call. I appreciate that. That's literally two books, and I did. 
and I went through Cliff Notes. Remember those little yellow books of the portrait of Dorian Gray? I did a book report on it through Cliff Notes. True story. I just when when you when you look at at that particular era of it, that's never going to return. And then when you look at at Chris Ballard. In what now he has gone through and what you have to see, and you also have to remember that there is going to be a a new and critical voice involved in this once again, as he was heavily involved in the drafting of Anthony Richardson, and that is going to be Shane Steichen. So even if you did not have that deeply rooted belief, and that's how you win in the past, um. The results combined with an offensive philosophy of your head coach, I think will go a long way in making us that have been here for the entirety of the time with that position in mind feel a lot better. Uh, JMV, did you hear the comments of Mike Woodson a little bit earlier today at Big Ten Media Day in Minneapolis regarding the Kentucky series? Well, this is something we did already know, but the quote was, that was the only way I could get it done, talking about going to Rupp twice and Assembly Hall once and then in between Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll move forward probably after the last year it being in Bloomington to having it being at Rupp, Bloomington, Rupp, Bloomington, and just have it that way. That was Mike Woodson earlier today, and that was stuff that we already knew. Very true. Already knew it. Uh, JMV, with all the success of the Colts running game, I'm curious how the tight ends are grading out in their run blocking. Um, yeah, I mean, that that is something that, that certainly needed to get better. I thought the offensive line, you had to, right, play much better. On Sunday, and then hopefully at some point here very soon, this week, the return of left tackle Bernard Ryman. We shall see. John Buzzard writes this, Dibs on a lucrative job where I have an entire decade to learn how to do it. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought you were, were you talking about me or Chris Ballard? Who are you talking about here? That's pretty funny. All right, quick one, we'll come back. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, the Winshuler's Spreadable Cheeses Lounge. That and the ride with JMV. Bob Kravitz, not too far away. In fact, about 17 minutes from now, his thoughts on the win over Tennessee. And remember, he was even worse than me. He thought like three games. I believe they've already hit the Bob Kravitz predicted mark of wins this year. See if Bob's opinion has changed at all, even with the backup quarterback starting for the foreseeable future. Bob, top of the hour, Chris Kiever's UND coming up at the bottom of the 5 o'clock hour. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. And then at that point, Billy, your house started to shake, the heavens opened up, and God himself spoke to you and said this, Bob, but my name's Billy. It doesn't matter what your name is. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. <laughs> Look at this. My microphone just fell apart right here. If you guys are watching me YouTube Live, check out my engineering mastery of this event here. Look at that. Look at that. Sorry about the sounds that are coming out there. All right. 
What do you think? Is that going to stay? If this falls, this is going to be the loudest noise ever on the air right here. I'm going to have to just stay strategically placed in front of this. If you've been watching via YouTube Live, I have been, quote, jacking with this for the past 35 minutes, and it finally gave away. I'm going to blame Kevin Bowen and Jimmy Cook for this because they also sit in this seat. There's no way this is the fault of me. But I think I got it going right here. Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live, you can, again, check it out. I'm I'm really not as technically inclined as I need to be, but I got that job done okay. All right, ALDS going on. Best of five tied at a game apiece in what they like to describe pivotal game number three at Target Field in Minneapolis through two innings not so good for the homestanding twins. Down 4 nothing to the Astros. Yeah, that's Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray, the former Reds right-hander. Two and a third, three earned runs, five hits, three Ks. Yeah, did not give them with the right arm what was necessary to start that game. Uh, Astros 4, twins nothing. Again, top of three. Uh, that is underway. Go to uh, 11. Right there, James. James, you ever worked a remote before because you don't look like you have? (laughs) (laughs) Orioles, Rangers in the American League later on tonight. How about Texas? Texas has just destroyed in four games the best and one of the best in Major League Baseball and certainly in the American League. The Rangers have done it to the Rays and now the Orioles. If the Orioles can stay alive, that is an 8-0-3 first pitch coming up a little bit later on tonight. So true. Uh, If you missed it last night, Monday Night Football, if you're a Packer fan, there's no way you're in love with Jordan Love, is there? There's no way. And the ending of week number five saw the Raiders 17-13 over the Packers, and I'm assuming a lot of Packer fans, including our betting analyst Brett Halverson, who we'll see at the uh, Mousetrap on Keystone coming up on Thursday, Larsity Bourbon Locks, Luna's Oil Tequila Shots. Uh, Brent actually attended that game at Allegiant Stadium or Field or whatever it is in Vegas last night. And probably, other than the Vegas experience alone, probably was not very happy at all with the outcome. 17-13, Packers now 2-3 and three on the season, and so are the Las Vegas Raiders. All right, coming up here in just a second, Bob Kravitz is going to join us. We'll talk about the Colts, the Colts moving forward, the change in expectations. You guys can give me yours, too. Are you still just kind of holding out? With this team not being as good as what you thought, or have your expectations changed? Bob Kravitz, top of the hour. Chris Kievers, UND, bottom of the 5 o'clock hour. Tuesday edition of this show, Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live, the stream, the app, HD Radio, and 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Hold on, James. Well done on finding Fox 59 right there. Well done. James on it as usual. Hour 3 coming at you next. The Ride with JMV. Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No. The definition of the word idiot, which you f***ing are. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Night number two, Steve Miller Band opens up for the Eagles at Cambridge Fieldhouse. Everybody that I heard from had a great time last night. The long goodbye with the Eagles and the opening act... Steve Miller Band, Cambridge Fieldhouse later on tonight. I did 
need to pass this along. I meant to do it a little bit earlier, but uh, Terry Dissinger, who is an all-time basketball great in this state, from Terre Haute, had an incredible career at Purdue, I believe a three-time All-Star in the NBA. And if you remember, I talked to Oscar Robertson. This goes back to June. I spent about 45 minutes just me and Oscar Robertson talking about basketball and its history and its present. And it was just such a profound experience for me. A lover of basketball as I am, it was incredible. And Oscar spent a great deal of time talking about Terry, which was really cool. Of course, he was on that 1960 gold medal winning Olympic team, and Oscar talked at length about that back in June. But uh, again, RIP to one of the all-time basketball greats in this state, and certainly at Purdue. And make sure we talk about that. And, and the the Oscar, 45 minutes with Oscar Robertson about that was absolutely incredible. I mean, that and more, certainly. But he spent a lot of time talking about that, that 1960 Olympic team. It was incredibly cool. And again, our thoughts with uh, all those, our friends up at Purdue, on that loss. Uh, meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Bob Kravitz, the columnist who joins us now. I want to start with you on this, Bob, for a moment. You were on the very low end in your columns at substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz regarding the Colts before the start of the season. It's not like I was much higher in my predictions either, but have you changed your mind? Have you up now the expectations with what you have witnessed so far at all? Well, uh, I'm good. At, I'm not very good at math, but when you predict the team is going to win three games and they've already won three games out of five, you probably ought to change your uh, your <laughs> prediction. <laughs> oh, look, I, I still don't think they're going to win a ton of games. I still think they're going to get a very high draft pick uh, in, in the next NFL draft. But uh, I've been I've been very surprised, happily surprised. This is a this team is so much more tough minded than the team last year. I mean, last year's team was mental, mental jello. You know, the first, at the first sign of adversity, they went into the fetal position. Uh, that's how you give up 33 point lead. That's how you give up 33 in the fourth quarter to Dallas. Um, this team, uh, which I think is a reflection of the coaching staff uh, and Shane Sykin in particular, um, they are much more tough minded uh, we even in their loss, we saw the way they came back against the Rams. Uh, you know, a game they, it, it, you know, uh, a, a couple of decent catches here and there, they win that game in regulation. So yeah, I've been I've been very surprised. You know, do I think they're going to win a ton of games? No. Do I think they're going to compete for uh, a playoff spot? Uh, no. But uh, you know. Uh, they've been much better than uh, I think most of us expected, certainly me. It's Bob Kravitz who joins us. Do you tend to look at that division and combine it with their schedule 
And this this sounds bad. I don't mean it to sound this way, but they're just by virtue of this schedule alone going to fall into a lot of wins. And like for example, this is what makes this this type of game in Jacksonville on Sunday such a, a high priority early in, in October because you're going to just because the opposition's not very good fall into some of these wins later on. Where do you think they end up? I mean, is this a team that? could be competitive within this division throughout basically the rest of this schedule? Is that something you would predict? You know, I I know what people want me to say, but if you want me to be honest, I don't think so. Um, You know, especially with, uh, with AR out for a month or however long it's going to be. Ultimately, Uh, I still think Jacksonville is far and away the class uh, of the AFC South. Uh, you know, I'm not crazy about the Titans. They, they can't seem to win on the road or even be competitive. Um, you know, and, and Houston, Houston's been kind of surprising. I mean, uh, Stroud has been absolutely terrific. They've got some good young wide receivers, Nico Collins, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, uh, but I, I don't see the Colts being at that level just yet. You know, maybe next year, year after that. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I, it's such a shame with Anthony because I, you know, he, he needs these snaps so desperately to, to get up to speed and get to where he needs to get to. And to, to miss a month like this is uh, going to be really tough. Who, who caved more to get something done? The Colts or IU to get Kentucky on the schedule in the fashion in which they did? Wait, come again? Come again? Who caved more? Was it the Colts? You know, getting the extension to Jonathan Taylor when they did? Oh, the Colts. Or or was it IU basketball and IU uh, going ahead and, and giving Rupp twice what right. Kentucky wanted out of that? I, I see that Woodson says, well, the next time when they continue <laughs> the, the the series, they'll do Bloomington twice and Rupp once. So we'll see about that. But uh, you know, who knows if Calipari and Woodson are still around. Uh, coaching at that point. But I, I think in terms of caving, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but in terms of giving in, uh, clearly, I, you know, if if you're a Colt and you want your money, hold out, man. You know, come up with it. Come up with some kind of, you know, uh, ankle uh, issue. Um, you know, uh, it, it's really weird. Something, something was at some point, the 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 background story here is going to emerge right now i don't know what it is because i'll tell you what everybody in this town thought that this thing was gonna not everybody you know i'll, I'll just speak for myself thought that uh this thing was going to get uglier before it got better and certainly if you're at that press conference that jonathan taylor had uh, uh i guess it was the day he came back to practice on a thursday uh, he sounded like a guy with one foot out the door. You would He either has the greatest poker face ever or I don't know, but there was no way on that Thursday that you had any reason to believe that this thing was going to be, um, you know, that they were going to you know, reach a conclusion sometime in the next 24 hours with an extension. Uh, I'm still looking up pejorative right now. Pejorative. P-E-J-O-R-A-T-I-V-E. bad. Expressing contempt or disapproval from Bob Kravitz. Exactly. I used it correctly. I'm a writer. (laughs) You did. That is well done. Bob's on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You you have any thoughts 
on what it might be. You said you don't know, but normally, even if you don't know, you have some thoughts or some opinions. You have anything that could have transpired that maybe motivated the Colts to go ahead and meet more so Jonathan Taylor in the middle than we thought they were ever going to? I, I mean, I really, I mean, I think I've proven so far that I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, not to trash myself, but uh, I had every reason to believe based on what was going on, the people I talked to, that this thing was going to turn ugly, and it didn't. And, hey, give give Chris Ballard a lot of credit here. I think him and, and the agent, uh, and isn't he a classy guy? But him and the agent uh, got it together in the background while while Ursay was, you know, talking out his you-know-what. Um, you know, uh, Ballard got it done. And, I, you know, it was interesting to hear Jim say the other day that he didn't want to give them this extension quite as early as they did. So that tells me that uh, Ballard stepped up and made this thing happen. And and this is like Jeff just sent me this. He says, "Who said JT wasn't the one that caved?" Shake my head. And I, I think by what you mentioned, Jim Mercey had said after the fact that he got this done before he ideally wanted to. Right. Kind of shows you that the Colts were the one that were more trying to meet this thing in the middle in this case than I would guess Jonathan Taylor's side of things. What, what, what I don't understand, John, is I, I remember writing this back in uh, when we were in Westfield. Why can't they just come up with three years, $12, 13000000 million a year and right. call it a day? Right. I mean, it just seemed like if, if they were going to reach this conclusion, they could have done it how long ago? Now, we don't know what the Colts are offering. We don't know what JT's people and JT were asking for. We, we don't know. But, good Lord, they must have been pretty far apart for things to have gotten as ugly as they got. Yeah, and the one thing that stands out to me as kind of an interesting angle is what both Mike Chappell and Stephen Holder had, where you could tell it came directly from the Colts. And this was at the very early stages of this when they said, you know, they, you know, you could end up activating, um, you know, an injury, you know, non-football related style, right, and right. and do, yeah, I mean, that just seemed like at that time that was certainly a Colts motivated rumor or report that was out there, and they were using that for some sort of of leverage. That does make you wonder a little bit more about it. Well, the, the thing that's interesting is from the very beginning until the very end. The Colts had all the leverage. I mean, they had all the leverage. Just look at the CBA. There's just not all, the only leverage that Jonathan Taylor had, and it's not really leverage. He could have withheld his services, but then he gets fined $240,000 again. So he really didn't have any leverage. And the fact that Zach Moss has come on and played so extraordinarily well, you would think that that would even further diminish the amount of leverage that Jonathan Taylor has. But this. To me, at least uh, from the outside looking in, uh, it came out of nowhere. Obviously, it didn't. Uh, these conversations have been going on for quite some time. But I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, you do this long enough, you become a pretty good judge of, you know, um, at pr- press conferences, human nature, body, uh, body language. And Jonathan Taylor looked like a guy who did not want to be there. Um, or at least he sounded to me like he's um uh he had one foot out the door for sure 
What are we going to see? I know Gus Bradley said last week when he expects to see, and who knows if that was kind of cushioning the blow of an injury and the lack of of stats for Shaquille Leonard so far this year, but he mentioned they're they're waiting on November to truly judge. When do you start judging on the play, on the field, and the production, or, or maybe even lack thereof, of 28? Well, I, I think you got to give them three, four games. I mean, I, I think, I think you know, if they can get some guys healthy and, and get their leg, get get them back in shape, uh, they could be pretty good late in the season. But you know, if you get AR back, you get Jonathan Taylor playing at at, at his best. Um, I don't know what Shaquille Leonard's best is at this point. One thing I've learned over the million years I've been doing this is don't. Uh, don't undersell uh, great athletes. I mean, great athletes have a way of coming back. So I'm not counting Shaquille Leonard out. Um, that probably would bother him because he likes when people count him out. Uh, we hear that 20 times every every uh, press conference. But I, I still think he's got a chance to be a special player again. Uh, I'm not going to count him out. It's Bob Kravitz who joins us uh, almost every week right now. We love it. He's uh, obviously doing the column thing still at substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Your confidence level, now granted, you're missing out on a lot because you just, it, it was really important to see Anthony Richardson play, mature, and grow, which with this amount of time, you're going to see him off the field, will not be doing that whatsoever. But you factor in Gardner Minshew. Where is the winnability concern to Gardner Minshew being your starter compared to that of how you might view this team if Anthony Richardson were the starter? Is it that far off the pace with either here? Uh, not in the short term, but I think long term, you know, the, the ceiling is obviously really high with Anthony um, I, I think you have a high floor with Gardner. I mean, he's, he, I, look, I've been screaming for years, even when Wentz was here, go get Gardner Minshew, but Wentz couldn't, probably wouldn't have been able to handle the competition. But uh, I, I think Gardner is, is, is the best backup in the league. Why the, I don't know if the Jets have called, but if I were the Jets, I probably would have called at least a week ago or two weeks ago when it looked like Zach Wilson was toast. Um, I, I think they would have a better season with a full season of AR than they would Gardner. But Gardner, you're going to be you're going to be in every game. You're going to be competitive because he doesn't throw interceptions. He doesn't throw. He doesn't fumble the ball. I mean, he he's really careful with the football. He makes a smart play all the time. So I, I, I think the floor is high with Gardner, but the roof. The roof is through the ceiling, as Michael Jordan would say. Zach Moss, to you, is third right now in rushing in the NFL. And, you know, most people that comes out of nowhere, there were a couple of very high on him. What's been your, your biggest impression on his production through the first five weeks of the season, Bob? I think I think he's obviously been terrific, and, and I, I, there's no reason why he can't continue this. It's going to be really interesting – to see how they move or how they work uh, JT back into the lineup. I think one thing we need to do is this offensive line was a total disaster last year. Right. They are playing really good football. I mean, you know, there's a lot of numbers that I don't completely understand, 
you know, uh, as far as analytics go. But they are way up there in pass protection. Uh, they're running the football well. I think they're, what, top three, top four in, uh, in, uh, in rushing in the league. So um, I think you got to give a lot of credit to Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly's playing well and Braden Smith. And I'll tell you what, this kid, uh, uh, Freeland, the rookie, is coming to left tackle. I haven't noticed, I haven't noticed right ends, uh, you know, defensive ends killing him. Uh, he's he's been more than competitive at that spot, and 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 tried to. So Bob Kravitz, I will say this: last weekend, no doubt they played well. How important was it? There were a lot of things working. I, I mentioned this yesterday. I thought that that was an impressive win and not because Bob Tennessee is a good team because they're not that good, but because of the in-the-house losing streak at seven, the losing streak to the Titans at five, the whole Jonathan Taylor stuff happened a day prior. Then during the game you lose your rookie starting quarterback with all that in mind. For them to win that game, I found as impressive of a win, even with a team that's not that great, that I've seen out of this team in a while. Yeah, it was just a tough-minded, gritty win. I, I really think uh, we're finding out, you know, it, it's early. But I'll tell you what, Shane Steichen has really been impressive so far. I don't agree with every movie makes. I, I didn't understand why he went for it on fourth and one down at, I think it was a four, five or six-yard line instead of yeah. kicking the field goal. I well, you're going for the points but, anyway. He's just not a dude that's going to do that. We may want to get used to that, I guess, because yeah, I, I, you're, I, you're yeah, a guy that wants the points, and he just doesn't value three that much. So Yeah. yeah. So uh, what, what were we saying again? I don't know. I got lost, too. <laughs> <laughs> It was, cool, it, was it was yeah no 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 it was uh, it was about the impression of a win against oh, a team that's yeah, not yeah. that great. No, I I, yeah. I I think Steichen has really been impressive because that's what the second game where he's had to basically take the game plan and yeah. and put it in a Cuisinart and go to you know pull from Plan B uh, as opposed to Plan A and because you're talking about two completely different uh, species of quarterback here in, in terms of the style they play. So uh, I, I've been very impressed. And I, I think uh, I'll tell you another guy who's impressed is Tony Sperano, who if you get a chance to talk to uh, Steichen, uh, you know, um, he'll tell you this guy is as impressive as they get. So, uh, you know, uh, kudos to him. To Bob Kravitz, again, you can read his work, his columns at substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I I did want to move along to the Pacers as they begin their season. A little preseason action in Houston coming up later on tonight right here with coverage beginning at 7.30. Um, Maybe I have them too high water. I I don't think there's anything wrong with it at this point. They had 25 wins two years ago. Up that 10 wins to 35 last year. Um, And I expect them to win 10 more this year. That's probably too lofty. But where do you have them in terms of of winning? And then what are you really most interested in seeing to start this season with this team and its makeup in mind? Well, I want to see what, what – uh, well, first of all, I think they're going to win about 41, 42 games. So I'm not, I'm not that far Yeah, that's, that's more reasonable, though, probably you. than mine, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I think the over-under is like 38 or something. I'd take, take the over in a heartbeat. But I'm really curious to see uh, how Obi Toppin fits in. I mean, we know he's great in transition. 
Uh, and, you know, you've got three guys who are terrific in transition with uh, Halliburton, Brown, uh, and, and Toppin. Uh, and, and I'm curious to see uh, what we get from uh, from uh, Benedict Matherin. Uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, I, I like the fact that Rick Carlisle gave him tough love last year because I think he's a kid who can handle it. He wants to be coached hard. And I, I want to see if he makes a – if he dedicates himself to the defensive end and becomes the kind of two-way player that I think we all know he can become. Yeah, it's funny. Some people that when they you know have the the mean face on all the time and the focus face on all the time, some people look at that and go, "Well, you know what? That's not really them. He's not that. He is that way all the time, absolutely all the time. He is. It is all business with that dude. He's he's got you know he's got. I mean, when I look at his game, I see Dwayne Wade. You know, a young Dwayne Wade. No. Will he be as great as Dwayne Wade? I, I, you know, I have no idea. But at least stylistically, that's what I see. But yeah, he's a guy. Um, you know, he, another guy who grew up, you know, in a tough situation, tough neighborhood, and he's just a tough-minded kid. I mean, he's been through a lot, and uh, you know, I, I think he's ready to take that next step. This may surprise you um, because we don't talk too much hockey. You know, too much uh, NHL around here, but the times we have, we have been joined in the past by Barry Melrose. Um, certainly, yes. certainly um, in studio a couple of different times, and then on the hotline more than a couple of times. And to hear the news today that he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, he's going to step away from yeah. ESPN and uh, covering the NHL. Uh, that that is absolutely a gut punch because he was as enjoyable. And really, for a sport I don't follow a great deal, as enjoyable to watch, to listen to, as anybody in any sport out there. Well, you know, he was kind of the American Don Cherry without yeah. being a complete idiot. Um, I mean, he, he he brought hockey to the American audience in a way they could they could understand it. Um, I, I really like Barry. This will come as no surprise to you whatsoever, but Barry scored on me. No way. Oh, Shocking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We used to play at the old McNichols Arena in Denver. Uh, all the, the, you know, Darren Pang and everybody else. We would go out and play on the ice before before uh, skate around. And, uh, you know, we, we would play, you know, just pickup games. And, yeah, Barry Melrose scored on me, Brian Trottier. <laughs> at least I was scored on by a Hall of Famer. Right. Now, did um – you, what kind of mask did you wear? Was it one of those old school like uh, Jason Voorhees masks, or was it one of the new school versions? What'd you wear? Well, in, I mean, in the old days, I wore one of the old school fiberglass molded to your face masks. Right. Where every time you got hit in the melon, you ended up with a concussion. Um, but later on, uh, Patrick Waugh, we made a we made a deal. I would buy him a box of really nice cigars uh, if he gave me one of his masks. You know, one of his new masks. Yeah. So I, I still have it here in my office. <laughs> it's an old Patrick Waugh mask that I used for, for several years until I couldn't play anymore. Well, it, it, that, that news was was terrible about Barry Melrose because, yeah, again, he's bad. been so enjoyable to watch. And, and really, I would I would say probably helped introduce a lot Absolutely. of people that were not really that privy to the NHL and hockey, the game itself. 
And people forget he was a hell of a coach, too. He had a right. lot of success in, in Los Angeles with Gretzky. No, no doubt about that. It's uh, Barry Melrose and our uh, best wishes to him as he deals Absolutely. certainly with this health issue. All right, what are you writing about here most recently? Well, what do you got? I, I wrote uh, today about, you know, is is this just bad luck or is, is he injury prone? And I think we, you know, I, I don't know how deep I got into it, but it's just, you know, when you've, when you've dealt with the Andrew Luck situation, when you've got a quarterback who keeps getting hurt, it's, it's concerning. Uh, and later in the week, I'm going to write about life on deadline. I got to thinking about it. Uh, this would be more of an essay than a column, but I got to thinking about it watching the Colts.com 20-year anniversary of the uh, Tampa game, yep. the comeback. And I thought about what a bizarre night that was and started thinking about some of the other deadline horror stories in my career. So I think I'm going to write that later in the week. It's well done. So Bob Kravitz, you can find that work and more, substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Always a pleasure, Bob. We'll do it again soon. All right, buddy. Take care. It is Bob Kravitz right there again, substack.com slash at Bob Kravitz. You know, the UND football program is having a fantastic season so far. Their head coach, Chris Kievers, deserves some love. The program does. We'll give them that love coming up on the other side. 93.5107 by the fan. The Ride with JMV. Stand by, Stryker. We're going to the tower. Good luck. We're going to the tower. The tower? The tower? Rapunzel! Rapunzel! 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Alex Bregman just goes yard. 5 nothing Astros right now. The pivotal game three of the best of five ALDS. Not going well so far for Sonny Gray and the Minnesota Twins. Orioles, Rangers from Arlington coming up later on tonight as well. The Winshulers Lounge brought to you by Winshuler Spreadable Cheeses. Winshuler Spreadable Cheeses again. The Spreadable Cheese for Central Indiana. Meyer and Kroger locations. You can find it today. Winshulers.com for more information right now. The Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline having a fantastic year to date down on the south side of Indy at UND the Greyhounds unbeaten press on against a really good Truman team coming up this weekend Chris Kievers is our guest right now I want to ask you this uh, have you seen the film on uh, the Burris family in flag football yet are you recruiting Michael Burris's kids just yet I have, I have not seen the film we we uh we're kind of stuck in the office. <laughs> <So> I, <laughs> well, well, um, I, uh, I, I'm gonna, I was just kind of joke. Michael Burris is from where I am from, down in Greene County, and uh, the reason why I see the film is because he puts it out there all the time. So I didn't know if you've seen the film as well. <laughs> of course, the assistant coach under Paul Casaro at UND. It's uh, my good friend Michael Burris. But they, they're, they're just like their dad. They're in constant motion, coach, is what they are. Oh, there's no question. <laughs> Constant motion. Hey, the season so far, um, to your liking, I, I guess it has to be, but you always want to make sure you maintain that competitive edge, meaning not too fat and not too sassy. Is this something you have to worry about with this group? Not, you know, especially not this week, but, you know, sometimes you, you always worry about guys, you know, you know, they, 
it, we don't if we got to keep getting better each week and yeah. we don't get better each week we have some problems but this this group's been really motivated they they take it week and week by week and they're a bunch of fun to coach and they you know it's uh and this game is you know we're playing the 19th team uh 19th team ranked team in the country and really good football team Truman State so we're, we're pretty excited about it. Are you at a point in the season coach where you thought that your team would be right now because I always like to ask that especially when you're having a great type of season compared to what your your preseason expectations were about this group are they matching up right now? You know I'd have to say yes you know we you know we went through camp and we really liked our quarterback and, and liked our tailback and the defense is you know we got a new defense coordinator he's putting it together really well and things just start clicking about week three in camp and we thought we'd have a pretty good football team all right coach Kevers Chris Kevers of UND joins us um, I wanted to bring this up too because Greg Gregstraw somebody you know very well from UND uh, he and I were talking about you and your team a little bit earlier and, and he mentioned uh, the prowess of your defense and you really from top to bottom how good it has been so far and that's going to want to kind of bring it up in terms of your team is that what you expected from that side of the football because it seems like on paper so far it's been good and then some to this point yeah you know we had all four guys back in the secondary and you know we had mike brown the north central uh, uh north central high school uh, recruit was a really good player for us you know preseason all-american and and we have you know we had three impact defensive linemen back and you know we had a couple linebackers back we thought we were going to be pretty good and and you know we we just keep getting better each week that's and that's what you have to do as well i always like to ask this too and it seems like a a a fruitful because you guys are in a great spot i mean on the on the south side where you are it seems like it's an absolute easy drive for a variety of schools how fruitful do those schools and really central Indiana schools continue to be for your football program? Because there is a lot of talent out there that I'm assuming that you love to cultivate on a year in year out basis. Yeah. I mean, football in Indianapolis, high school football is unbelievable. I mean, it's, you know, you look at it and it's, it's, it just keeps getting better. So a lot of players and we, we really want to recruit Indianapolis. That's, that's where we start. And we've got some really good players and, you know, every year we're, you know, we, we start out Indianapolis is our focus because they're, again, it's just, it's really good football. Um, have you you've been around here for a while, as I mentioned too? How, how have you seen that? For example, you go back to the mid '90s when you and Rakestraw are, are enrolled at, at UND. How have you seen that change and/or evolve for the better over the years, Chris? Well, I mean, the facility's gotten better. They've all gotten strength coaches. Uh, you know, Dick Delahan kind of started it, and Ben Davis, and everybody copied you know what he was doing in, in football, high school football from the '90s to 2000. It just keeps getting better because. You know, everybody's got the right plan. They approach it like college, and start those kids start lifting when they're freshmen. And you know, it's you know, and there's so many good football programs around here. You know, because but but Dick, you know, Delahan started it back in the back in the '90s. Yeah, it's funny, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I want you to elaborate a little bit on that. I always kind of view it as. You look at when when Peyton Manning got here with the Colts and Coach, they took off and started so consistently winning to where that helped everything else evolve football-wise. I mean, you saw a trickle-down effect, you know, collegiately to high school, even below high school with a love of football. But when you bring up Coach Dullahan, you know, that's a different aspect right there where he was kind of at the forefront of, of starting what is routinely known in what high school, you know, high school in and high school out do to help maintain year after year the quality of their program. 
Yeah, I mean, it starts with a strength coach and speed development and, you know, skill development and, you know, approach it like a college. And, you know, those guys, Center Grover's the reason why they keep winning. I mean, they those guys are – they've got it down. They're, you know, speed development, strength strength development, and, and skill development. It's, it's, it's impressive when you go around Westfield. Just go around all the programs, Brownsburg, and you're like, my goodness. Yeah. They, they do a great job. I've always and I've I've told Eric this before, and in living where I live, I, I'd notice it a lot more than anybody else might. But he, from the time a kid in a single digit age picks up a football, and they are involved with CG, everybody, coaching staff, parents, kids, all push in the exact same direction. And that's what they've done over the years with Eric's program. I'm assuming that should be a model for a lot of programs, not just at the high school level, but any program level here. Everybody pushing in the right direction because sometimes that can be few and far between, but when it happens, you can win at a high level year after year, and that's what we've seen. And that's, you know, that's what we have here. We've got administration that's backing us and that, that helps us win. And, you know, we've got a support system. And then that's why you win. I mean, when, when a bunch of people get together and they're all going the same way and, and everybody's in, you know, it, it, it's it's easier to win. And, you know, it's and that's what he's, boy, he's got it going. Oh, we got to give some love to the administration because when you got a good one, you want to hold on to that good one tight, don't you, Coach? Is there any doubt yeah. about that? No question. I mean, when you get supported and, and – and they want to help you win. It's it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's that's a big reason why we're winning right now. I mean, you know, we we'll go out. We can recruit anybody we want. We can go anywhere we want. And uh, you know, it, it it helps when you get support. Right, uh, Chris Keever's the head coach of UND. Back to back on the road. Quincy coming up the twenty first, but nineteenth ranked. Truman coming up this weekend. I want to get your thoughts on that matchup and how these two teams match up in this huge game coming up this weekend for you. you know, always a close game. We've been playing them since twelve. Uh, I mean, it's it's and you know, in twenty one we were down there and we and we won thirteen ten and we set football football back twenty years. But uh, <laughs> we're we're two teams that want to run it and and be physical and stop the run. You know very similar teams and so uh uh it's it's always a really good game you know last year we you know we were down 14 nothing and a half and came back and scored 28 unanswered in the second half and, and won the championship so it's uh it's it's always a challenge is it fair to say that that you on theirs and and, and they being on your schedule or are you like the the mid-season gauge of where you are for each other at this point Oh, there's no question. I mean, both of us have have, have won and 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 won big in all of our games. So, uh, and we've had some like alike opponents, and we've had like scores. So, we're going to find out who's you know who's who. In a, you know, in a couple of days. Yeah, again, Truman uh, on the road coming up this weekend, and then at Quincy on the twenty first, and I believe back, back at home against Upper Iowa. That's further down the road. We'll have to talk yeah. about that some other time because there's, I'm sure you probably got concentration on Truman right now. But Chris Kiever's the head coach of UND on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon. It is always a pleasure. Uh, a shout out and give a lot of love to our friends down there on the South Side and keep doing what you've done so well so far. And that's winning football games, Coach. Thanks for joining us. JMB, thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Go Hounds. Chris, anytime. Chris Keevers in the incredibly successful football program at UND. And there is something to be said. Anybody out there shaking your head yes when he brought up administration, how important that is to have a good one? And don't even get me started 
If you have a good one, you want to hold on to it forever. And in fact, if you have a good one, you may want to take a picture because it's few and far between often. Such a big deal. Really, there is so many moving parts. I mean, you can just have talent and coach up talent. That's one thing. But uh, normally so many moving parts with that in mind. Uh, Chris Kievers of UND. So good on the field so far this season as well. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, the Harris Hoosier Park Race of the Day. That's coming at you here on the other side. 50-50 betting and dining from Harris Hoosier Park Racing and Casino in Anderson. Somebody's going to win that coming up to a big day coming at you tomorrow. I shall explain. And then two road shows for us Thursday and Friday where you can meet up with us and hang out a little bit as well. All that leading up to week number six for the Colts on the road in Jacksonville on Sunday. Plus, Pacers in preseason action tonight down in Houston at 7.30. Your coverage is right here. That and more coming up on the other side. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Pacers Houston tonight at 7.30. That's preseason action right here. Check that out on The Fan. Greg Rakestraw, Brad Spielberger, Bob Kravitz, Chris Kievers podcast today, 1075thefan.com if you want to go there. It was, is that Grayson or Graydon? Graydon. Graydon Hood is the winner. Swan Captain, the winning horse. That paid $73.82 on a $2 bet. The $2 exacta was a $144.40 payout and the 50 cent trifecta, $149.55. My friends, Tuesday through Friday, right here, your Harris Hoosier Park race of the day. The winner gets 50 in betting and 50 in dining, courtesy of Harris Hoosier Park Racing and Casino in Anderson, where there is racing going on through the first couple of weeks of December. Your Harris Hoosier Park, Tuesday through Friday, right here during this show on the fan. Race of the day. Man, good day today. I mentioned tomorrow is going to be a big show, too. Loaded. I don't know. Is Kenny Moore going to be here tomorrow or Thursday, one of the two, from that cold secondary? I mean, I think we could do either one, really. Either one. Maybe tomorrow, maybe Thursday. I'm not quite sure just yet. Uh, tomorrow, Ian Eagle of CBS calls NFL games, of course, on TNT, NBA games. And uh, he's going to be the voice of the college basketball Final Four coming up this year. Ian Eagle tomorrow. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network is going to join us coming up on the show tomorrow. Mentioned Kenny Moore as well. Then Thursday and Friday, in case you did not know, we're going going to be on the road. Keystone is the location for the Mousetrap, our Larcity Bourbon Locks, Luna Zool Tequila Shots with betting analyst Brent Halverson coming up on Thursday. I have not looked yet, but I don't gather I had a spectacular weekend. I just don't. It's weird. I don't know if I have picked a Thursday game accurately yet. That is a thorn in the side right there, the Thursday game. It's the way that it's been so far. But we'll do it again. Come back at you. It's a great place to go. The Mousetrap Keystone on Thursday. And again, these samples per usual 
will be flowing for that event. Then on Friday, not too far from where I sit right now, South Meridian, it is walk-ons. Walk-ons on South Meridian right there before you get to the train track, right? But it is a great location. Let me tell you this. Walk-ons has some incredible Cajun-based food. So we're going to be eating up coming up on Friday, and you're going to get your chance at some Colts tickets, more than a couple to give away. That's walk-ons coming up on Friday, or Bud Light Blue Friday with your chance at Colts tickets. And I mentioned, too, on Friday, Spiro Ditas is going to join us. He, along with Adam Archuleta, and will be a part of that broadcast with the Colts and the Jaguars coming up on Sunday. But Spiro's going to join us again as he did last week. And I'm hoping to try to get, because he's got some ownership. He's the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer linebacker and NFL Hall of Famer Derek Brooks, who, if you remember, was on with us back in the summertime. I want to say back in late June. And he was absolutely outstanding. So we'll see if we can't get Derek back on the show. Uh, Certainly, if not on Friday, when we're at walk-ons before the week leading up to the Tampa game because he was outstanding last time he was on and we'll look for that coming up on Friday so two really good spots for you to join us coming up Thursday and Friday again, Larceny Bourbon Locks, Lunas, Ulta Tequila Shots, Keystone Avenue Mousetrap location with Brent Halverson Friday, Bud Light Blue Friday is at walk-ons, this is from Nate JMV, the key thing about the Jonathan Taylor contract is that they check to see what kind of trade value they could get for him and realized they wouldn't get the return that they wanted so they signed him for a deal that got them better return than franchising him kind of saved him three million dollars a year um jmv i have a lot of respect for bob kravitz but i strongly disagree with his take on the colts based on the first five weeks they've shown the ability to compete Eight, nine wins are, to me, on the table, and not enough credit is being given to Zaire Franklin. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. There is no doubt about that. He's finally starting to get that national love that he absolutely deserves. Leading the NFL in tackles right now, in case you missed me talking about that earlier today, um, Zach Moss, third in the NFL in rushing right now with over 400 yards. And the last three weeks for Moss have honestly been absolutely outstanding. Really have. So we'll follow that, too, coming up later on this week. It's funny. I asked this question. You guys can answer that, but I asked it a little bit earlier whether or not we have recalibrated our thoughts on the cold season. I was going under the the six and a half, which was the Vegas odds. So you got three in right now, and Bob Kravitz had to mention he had them winning three games. So unless they lose every game the rest of the season, Bob is legitimately hosed on this. But is that an easy six and a half compared to the start of the season right now? And do you view this team as a competitor within the AFC South, not just for going into this weekend against Jacksonville or for the next month, but for the rest of the season? Bob did not, do you? And and see if you can separate your fandom to what is reality. And I look at it this way. I can easily do that. And I look at it as combined with this division and their schedule, there are 
a lot of winnable games on there. So separate that and tell me what you think if you, again, have decided to refocus what you expected out of the season from your Colts team, win-loss-wise. Talk about that more coming up on tomorrow's show. James, great job out of you today. Greg Rakestraw, Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus. Bob Kravitz, the columnist. Chris Kievers, the head coach of the UND. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. The Windshuler Spreadable Cheeses Lounge. You guys going to look at you right here the right way. Hey, you guys were outstanding today. Callers, listeners, social media platforms, well done. Big show tomorrow begins at 3. I don't want you to miss a minute right here. 93. 3-5 and 107 by the fan. Remember Pacers Houston tonight at 7:30 in the preseason NBA.